0: Uh, making a deaf man hear and that same mute man speak. We thank you for the power of your word. And yet even in this story, we see people disobeying it. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to respond. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. Amen. Uh, Well, they uh, often say, don't they, that school days are the best days of your life. I don't know whether that was true for you or not. Uh, I suspect it probably depends on whether you were one of those people who were in. There are some people, aren't there, at school who are in. They're the ones who are picked first for sports. They're the ones who everyone wants to be friends with. Perhaps they were people who made prefects. You name it. They're the people who are in. Maybe you're one of those people. I suspect, like quite a lot of us, you probably were the other side. Maybe you were the last one to be picked for the sports teams. You were always waiting there, and that pain has never quite gone away. Maybe you were always the one who felt a bit on the outside, never really part of the group. Uh, Whatever the situation, all of us want to be in. We want to be included, don't we? Nobody likes being left out. Uh, and so far in Mark's Gospel, if you've been with us over the last few weeks and months, uh, we've been seeing Jesus interacting with people who, if you ask them, are pretty sure that they are in. They're pretty sure that they are in God's kingdom. They're the Jews, God's uh, people. And But if, we, if you remember to what we saw uh, last week, if you were with us, we saw that Jesus told us that actually nobody is automatically in the kingdom of God. Why? Because actually, for all of us, there's one big problem. Our hearts are dirty. They are unclean. We are separated from God. We're far too messed up for us to be allowed anywhere near the kingdom by ourselves. And this week, the scene shifts. Uh, We see Jesus interacting with those who are definitely outside. And more than that, they know that they are outside the kingdom of God. And I think there are two questions here. Is there any chance, first of all, that these people are going to be allowed in? Can they ever become part of the in group? Are they always deemed doomed to be on the outside? And secondly, if God's people, if the Jews can't recognize the King of the world, God's chosen King, the Lord Jesus, then what hope everyone, has everyone else got? Well, let's uh, dive in, shall we, and see what happens in these uh, two encounters that Jesus uh, gives for us. And let's look first at the encounter between the Greek woman and Jesus. And I think this shows us uh, about the kingdom's people. Uh, the kingdom's people. If you've got any experience in property, uh, you'll know that the golden rule is always location, location, isn't it? There's a television programme about it. Uh, location is everything. And actually it's the same in these uh, stories uh, that, uh, that we hear in, uh, in Mark. Uh, location is incredibly significant. Uh, Jesus has left the region around Galilee where up to this point his ministry has been, uh, been mostly concentrated. Uh, he's travelled about 40 miles northwest up to the region of Tyre. Uh, Tyre in those days was mostly famous as a seaport. Uh, but here its significance lies somewhere else. Uh, it's significant for Mark because it uh, was a Greek or a, a Gentile or non-Jewish area. You wouldn't really find any Jews up there at all. Uh, Mark doesn't really tell us exactly why Jesus went there. There's probably a number of reasons. Uh, I think quite possibly uh, opposition in, to his ministry had been growing in Galilee, uh, and he thought it would just be good just to come away for a while, just let things settle down again, and, uh, and uh, there might be some peace. Uh, but we don't really quite see. But I think, actually, if we look closer from the context of this passage, that there is actually a deeper reason. Uh, we saw, as I said last week, uh, Jesus was demolishing jewish uh, traditions and jewish pride uh, by demonstrating that there is nobody who can call themselves clean uh, because we all have sinful selfish hearts and if ultimately jesus is right if that's the case if really there's no difference between jews and gentiles in the sight of god then there's nothing to stop jesus going there why should he not Well, if Jesus had been hoping uh, for a quieter time in in Tyre, he was going to be disappointed, because even then, it's the same story, isn't it? He's in demand, verse 24. He left that place, he went to the vicinity of Tyre, he entered a house, he did not want anyone to know about it, and yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. Uh, Immediately, a Greek woman seeks him out, begging him to drive a, a, an evil or an unclean, literally, an unclean spirit from her little girl. Like so many other people who sought the Lord Jesus as he walked the earth, she is absolutely desperate. And yet, unlike the others, there's something different about her. You can see, can't we? Uh, Mark is very careful to give us a description of her, verse 26. Uh, the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia, Phoenicia. Uh, She's a woman, for starters. That instantly puts her as an outsider in the society of the Lord Jesus. Uh, but more than that, she is this Greek. She's a Syrian Phoenician. She's a non-Jew or a Gentile. In Jesus' day, any strict Jew would avoid any contact at all with uh, non-Jews for fear of being made unclean. Uh, uh, for the woman, it's compounded here, isn't it, by the fact that her daughter has an unclean spirit. So it literally means in the Greek, it's unclean. The NIV is translated to Evil. Uh, She is really, really unclean. And if Jesus has any respect for traditions, uh, he would go nowhere near her. It's astonishing that he is even prepared to engage her in some conversation. And yet this extraordinary encounter marks a shift in the mission and the ministry of the Lord Jesus, and actually in God's dealings with his world. It is a foretaste of God's great gospel plan for his world. It's a snapshot, almost, of the Bible story in miniature. Why? Well, let me uh, try and explain for us. Right from the beginnings of the Bible, God had made it very clear that he always had a plan to choose a people to be his own special possession. Uh, Right back in Genesis chapter 11, after the chaos of Babel, uh, where God scatters the world that has chosen to set itself against him, Uh, We see then following in chapter 12 this promise to Abraham that God would make him into a great nation. It's the first stirrings that God is up to something. God has a plan. It hasn't all gone completely wrong. He is doing something. Uh, Moving on through the Bible, at Mount Sinai we see God giving his people the law, the law that displayed his character and his purposes for his chosen people, given in order that they might be a witness Uh, to the nations and the watching world. Uh, It's clear, as the scriptures go on, that the race of Israel, the Jews, are going to be at the heart of God's purposes. And yet, still, as the story progresses, it's clear they're not the only ones who God has a plan for. Even back in Genesis, God's words to Abraham gave a hint of things, uh, because he said that all peoples on earth would be blessed through Abraham, Genesis 12, verse 3. Uh, The prophet Isaiah, uh, many, many years later, promises that through God's suffering servant, the Messiah, uh, he would be a light to the Gentiles, a light to the non-Jews, the people who were outside uh, God's people, that through his work, he might bring salvation to the ends of the earth, Isaiah 49. And yet, despite all this, despite all the promises, the unfolding of God's revelation, Uh, Still, at the time of Jesus, Jews and non-Jews were sworn enemies. They treated each other with absolute contempt. Uh, You could see it visibly in the architecture and the rules of the uh, the temple courts in Jerusalem, the place where the Jews flocked uh, for worship. If you weren't a Jew, you could never get beyond the outside, the outer courts, uh, because in Jewish eyes, unless you were Jewish, you could never approach God or be part of his people. We can see the contempt that Jews held non-Jews in by Jesus' words, actually. At verse 27, we have this curious phrase, don't we? First let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Uh, The dog, as Jesus says here, actually is a common Jewish insult for a Gentile. It's a frequently a term of abuse that Jews would use uh, for non-Jews. Jesus is picking up on that uh, that animosity, that uh, division Between them, and yet it's slightly different here. When Jesus uses it, we can't really pick it up very easily from the English. But what Jesus uses is a slightly different term. Uh, Jews, when they were abusing non-Jews, would use uh, the word for a kind of a a wild dog, a dog that would kind of roam the streets, and you know, a sort of wild dog you wouldn't stay away from because they'd get rabies from. Jesus uses the word for a pet dog, a house dog, a dog like Ridley, for example. We should say a little dog that you would uh, would pet and uh, cuddle. Uh, He is picking up on that animosity, that enmity between Jews and non-Jews. And yet even there, there's a hint that there's something different. There's a possibility that the dogs might become part of the household. We can see, can't we, he says, let the children eat all they want. He's saying the truth, that the the Jews, the, the children of God, have had the first chance, as it were. They're the ones who've been entrusted with the law and the prophets, And yet, there's a possibility that there are some scraps for everyone else. There's bread for even those who, in the eyes of God's people, are too dirty. There is nobody who needs to be outside the kingdom of God if only they will come to Jesus in humility, like this woman. And wonderfully, she persists, doesn't she? Verse 28, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he told her, for such a reply you may go. She comes in persistence and humble faith and she has her needs, needs met. Restored daughter, and actually by implication, I think, she's welcomed into the kingdom of God. Uh, back in January, I uh, had the privilege of going to the Holy Land and visiting for a week. Uh, we were staying in Bethlehem and from my hotel window, you can look across uh, the town uh, and you could see the uh, separation wall that has been uh, erected to divide Israelis and Palestinians. Uh, from one another. It's a tragic picture of the division between two peoples. Uh, Any division between nations and peoples is a tragedy, of course. And yet the Bible tells us that there's something that is even more serious. There is another division that is even more serious than that. It is, of course, the division between a sinful humanity, unclean, uh, and uh, outside God's kingdom... And God, who is holy and dwells in unapproachable light. Again, the temple uh, architecture provides a picture of it. Right in the centre of the temple was the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwelt, and in the middle of the Holy of Holies was a thick curtain, dividing God from a sinful world. And yet, of course, on the cross, the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus, the one who Isaiah had promised all those years ago, did exactly what God had always promised and that nobody else could do, he made, as the writer of the Hebrews describes it, a new and living way for us, for you and for me, for all the world to enter into God's presence behind the curtain. Why? Because he dealt once for all for sin. Remember, Good Friday, the curtain, temple of the curtain, curtain temple, draw, uh, torn into that visible sign that we are at peace with God Paul tells us in Ephesians that he himself is our peace. Why? Because he's made peace with God, supremely, of course. But because of his work, he has also made peace between Jew and non-Jew. He is creating one new people, God's new society, for God's praise and glory from the two. God's gospel plan is in operation. And you and I, if we are part of of God's people, if we bow the knees to the Lord Jesus, are part of that. Perhaps you worry this morning that you could never be in. You never have been. You're not cool enough, or maybe you're not skilled enough, not, uh, not bright enough. Maybe you just think, actually, I'm too dirty. There are things in my life I have done that I am ashamed of. I hate. I wish I'd never done them, and I, yet I, uh, I have to deal with them. Uh, you're right. You can't, because none of us can. <laughs> Nobody is good enough for the kingdom of God. But because Jesus died in our place... Even the worst of sinners, the people who in the world's eyes could never be included in God's people, are welcomed back to God and become part of his people. This woman shows us what is required. We see our sin, we see our king, and we turn to him in faith. The kingdom's people are those who have been made clean by the king, all of them, Jew and non-Jew alike. Let's look, shall we, at uh, the second encounter that uh, Mark records for us here. And it's this encounter between uh, the deaf and mute man and the Lord Jesus. And I think this demonstrates for us uh, the kingdom's proof. The kingdom's uh, proof. Uh, we're told uh, from Mark that uh, from Tyre, Jesus undertakes a lengthy journey back to this, uh, the far side of Galilee. Uh, verse 31, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, he went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. It's on the other side, the, sort of the, the, the western uh, side, uh, eastern side, sorry, of, um, of uh, Lake Galilee. Uh, in all likelihood, it was probably six months uh, travelling. It was a long way. Uh, I guess it was an opportunity for Jesus to prepare the disciples for uh, what he knew lay ahead. And probably no doubt for our Lord himself to prepare Coming away for a little time, prepare himself for what lay ahead. It's the calm, as it were, before the storm. Uh, and we'll see that as we go on in Mark's gospel. We'll see where, uh, where Mark's gospel is heading. It is, of course, heading uh, to the cross. And yet again, when Jesus gets back to Galilee, we find him in Gentile territory again. He's in the, uh, the, the non uh, Jewish uh, part. And yet again, we find him faced uh, with desperate human need. Uh, It was a woman uh, whose daughter uh, had an evil spirit. Uh, This time it's a man who is deaf and mute, verse 32. Uh, He's been living life in stony silence. His friends have brought him to Jesus, desperately hoping that Jesus, if anybody, can do something about it. Jesus has just had his retreat uh, interrupted, hasn't he? And yet there's no hint of anger from him. It's just love and compassion. He takes the man aside, doesn't he, and visibly and physically heals him. Verse 33, after he took him aside and away from the crowd, Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, "Epatha," which means be opened. And at this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Uh, I guess compared to some of the healings that we've seen In Mark's Gospel, there's something quite odd about this one, isn't there? There's this kind of pantomime that goes on. I I, I wonder, perhaps you're sitting there thinking, what's going on? Why why the need for all this? Why couldn't Jesus just kind of say something and do it and be done with it? I think the answer lies in the need for the kingdom's proof, uh, the need for there to be proof of the kingdom's presence and the kingdom's work. Think about it. Uh, For a start, this man was deaf and mute, Uh, he couldn't hear Jesus' words physically, he was unable to. Uh, he needed to know that this healing uh, had been accomplished by the work of Jesus. I guess he could only know that if Jesus had actually gone up to him and done something physical to him and, and touched him. He wouldn't know otherwise, would he? If Jesus had been standing behind him and had spoken, he wouldn't know that it was Jesus uh, who had healed him. Uh, without that touch, he wouldn't have the proof that it is Jesus alone who has the power to work miracles. It could have just been a coincidence. Maybe something just came unstuck and uh, and he could hear again. No, he needs to see that it was Jesus who sets things right, uh, who is doing the work of God's kingdom. Alongside this, we have that Mark records for us how Jesus looked up to heaven and sighed. There are lots of kind of fanciful interpretations of what that might mean, uh, but I think, it, again, it's simply related to the man. Uh, the man could not hear. Uh, he had to see what Jesus was doing. And I think, by, if I've got this right, I think by Jesus looking up, Uh, To heaven, Uh, it is a a sign for the man uh, that uh, that was where his power and authority came from. Uh, That glance to heaven spoke volumes to this deaf man. It showed that it was by the authority of God himself, the one whom Jesus had come from, that the Messiah, Jesus, could bring about restoration. Apart from him, he could do nothing. And it is, of course, exactly as the Old Testament prophets had promised. Uh, Isaiah, again, had prophesied that when the Messiah, that is God's anointed king, the Christ, came, uh, the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongues shout forth for joy. That's Isaiah 35. And wonderfully, we see that promise fulfilled, don't we? God's anointed king, the Lord Jesus, has come with all authority over sickness evil, disease, to put right by his death and resurrection what human sin and rebellion has has destroyed. The kingdom of God is here. It's come in the person of the Lord Jesus. And here is its proof, the setting free of a death and the mute. There's a story told of the violinist uh, Fritz uh, Chrysler, who was touring in uh, in Europe, and apparently he uh, had a break during one of his concerts, and he wandered into a music shop carrying his violin. And the proprietor wanted to see his violin, and he uh, opened it up and showed him, uh, and walked out. Uh, anyway, a few minutes later, he was quite uh, astonished to be uh, arrested by the police, uh, who claimed that he had stolen Fritz Chrysler's violin. Nobody knows quite how they'd, uh, they'd work that out. But uh, anyway, he was arrested. And the story goes, that apparently they took him off the police station, and he had no passport on or anything, so he couldn't prove his identity. The way he did it was by uh, asking them to go down to the record shop and get one of his records. Uh, They played the record, and then he played it back perfectly. He played one of his signature pieces so they could recognise who he was. It was proof that he was indeed Fritz Chrysler. Uh, And the first half of Mark's Gospel has largely been a series of proofs. It's proofs that Mark's statement about Jesus, back in uh, chapter 1, which you might remember, verse 1, really is true that this man Jesus really is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the Messiah and the Son of God. And yet again this morning, we see Jesus proving that. He really is who Mark says he is. He overturns sin's work, and he demonstrates his authority beyond any doubt. He is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And yet still, it's not enough to acknowledge the wonder of his works if we then refuse to listen to him and obey him. We can see that here, can't be. Verse 36, Jesus commanded the people not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. Uh, they were amazed by what Jesus did. They were, uh, they, they were astonished uh, by it. Uh, they believed him, ultimately. They saw the proof of his authority and marvelled at it. And yet what do they do? They proceed to disobey him, ignore his words. Uh, Just as that man was deaf to the world, so the people who are watching remain deaf to Jesus. Uh, There are many people in the world who are happy to acknowledge Jesus as a remarkable man. They would agree with uh, Dostoevsky, the writer, who said this, I believe there is no one deeper, lovelier, more sympathetic, and more perfect than Jesus. Not only is there no one else like him, there could never be anybody like him. And they would probably agree with that statement. Just this week, I'd been away on a Christian activity holiday for teenagers, and I was talking to a student who would have said those words, I think. In fact, he basically said that to me. He'd been convicted during the talks of the need for Jesus, of the wonder and the beauty of Jesus and what he had done for him. And yet, by his own admission, he did not want to obey him. He did not want to listen to Jesus' words about uh, the need for uh, purity in relationships, uh, purity of life. And so many people are like that. Uh, They like Jesus, they like the look of him, they want him in fact to be their saviour, but they do not want him to be their Lord. They refuse to listen to him and bow the knee to him as Lord and Master. They're deaf to his words, they're blind to the proof that Jesus sets before them. And to each of us this morning, whether we're Jew or non-Jew, Uh, Jesus calls us to acknowledge him as God's king and saviour. Not just God's king and saviour, but our king and saviour. Unless we do so, we can never be part of his kingdom. He's given us the proof that he is who he says he is, and it's our decision about what we do with it. Are we in or are we out of God's kingdom? Whoever we are, whoever you are this morning, if we recognise Jesus as God's son, And King, who died to do the work that we could not do, to make us clean before God. And if we obey his voice and come to him, we can become parts of God's new people. Will we come in? That's the question. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we saw you saying hard things last week. We see you again saying hard things this week. Uh, We acknowledge that you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You have come in the flesh you are Lord and Master, and we long that you should be Lord and Master in our hearts and lives as well. We pray that we would be in the kingdom, not because of what we can do, but because of what you have done on our behalf. And we pray that you would be Lord and Master, that we would listen to your words and obey them, that you might be glorified. Amen.